of the game podcast i'm your host jerry thompson here with me is michael majors some exciting stuff happening majors is about to start streaming after we wrap up this podcast so that's great i'm gonna join him and hopefully that'll be a lot of fun so make sure to follow him on twitch if you get a chance uh it is m majors is that it yeah i'm pretty consistent across the board okay well done well done good for branding and the second thing is that uh i kind of want to do it with the the 25th episode because it's like it's not it's not a round number but it's like i don't know there's there's a word for that right where it's like the number is kind of iconic or it's, it's generally pleasing right yeah yeah just it symbolizes some sort of like achievement right like ooh 25 the 25th episode what a big game for example if we had just done this consistently for like we should have every week then 26 would actually be pretty iconic because it's like half a year or whatever but yeah. since we completely blew it 25 will do well, to be fair, we can't do it every week because of the Pro Tour and stuff, so... Uh, well, that's just completely an excuse, but but it's a good save. I, I appreciate where it you're headed. It is. At. It's a good excuse. As, as far as our excuses are concerned, that is a, a legitimate good excuse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for us, that that is solid. Yes. Okay. So, anyway, big thing that I want to have happen within the next couple weeks or so is I want to start a Patreon. I have this editor, Connor O'Donnell, who is great, and he does a fantastic job. I would like to give him a raise. And we've done 25 episodes of me paying him, so I'd kind of like to get some of that money back, too, you know? And <laughs> I, I, I want to I help you, man, but you just won't take my money. Yeah, I'll take your money eventually, don't worry. You, you pay me in other ways. You, like, put up with my presence and oh, me God. nagging you all the time. Eh, no comment. Just, just okay. continue the plug. Yeah, and, and Majors needs a second monitor, because I guess he only has one. Well, I, I, I own three, actually. I just <laughs> left them both in Georgia, or two of the three, and I just completely forgot to get it. So, uh, yeah, tonight might be a little awkward, but we'll see how it goes. Well, shit, man. You, you got three monitors. I only have two. Maybe I need a new monitor. <laughs> anyway, no, Patreon's really cool. Uh, and there are some things that I just want to have happen in general anyway, where it's like, I want to start a Discord channel and have a place where people can easily reach us and ask us questions and stuff. Like, right now, it's Twitter. And I think that's the easiest way for people to contact either of us. But it's not great. It's not as personal. And I think it would be really cool to have some sort of, like, inclusive thing. And maybe just have that for, like, the Patreon people. And then, like, Twitch subs or something like that. And just, like, have this place where we can all just kind of hang out, you know? So I like the idea of that. I like the idea of uh, spreading little Michael Majors tokens all throughout the, the United States and beyond. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I'm going to try and get some more Avatar tokens made and see what we can do with those. And then uh, the other thing is I want to just, like, have a place where we can post our deck lists. Like, before we, you know, Friday night we submit our, our deck list to whatever TO for whatever Grand Prix or Open we're at or whatever. And it's just, like, I think, you know, there are enough people out there playing in tournaments of the similar format where, you know, maybe they want a standard deck to take their PTQ or something. And I think just, like, having a place where we can post that and have... The people who are loyal to us and support us and stuff, like, they get a little something back for it. Yeah, it's a dope idea. I hadn't thought about that. And then hopefully just the people who would spy on us are just paying us to spy on us. And that's great. Yeah, that's worth it. I, Dude, if someone wanted to pay me, like, you know, $2 for my deck list every tournament, I would happily give it to them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I usually give it away for free, so it's just an upgrade. Right. So, yeah, expect that at some point within the next couple weeks, hopefully... But again, we're, we're talking with us, or talking about us, so no promises there. 
But my hope is that by putting it on the show, I'm held accountable. I, I really do love accountability. It's great. So now, I mean, you're just locked in. You got to do it. Yeah, great. Now maybe I'll get off my ass. We'll see. Well, we will see. That is the key here. Okay, so show topic today. We're going to talk about Mardu vehicles. I am Mardu guy from a few years ago. <laughs> Man, that thing is funny. It is it is humorous to me, but sometimes it just it really hurts, you know? It's, it's actually lame that there's no shame in being Mardu guy right now. Yeah. No, it is like basically the best deck in a lot of different metrics. It is 32% of the metagame. It wins a lot of the major tournaments. People have been able to tune their decks to fight the black green deck that was supposed to just crush Mardu relentlessly. The deck has gone through enough iterations of it being like a straight up beatdown deck to just being this like hodgepodge mid-range kind of garbage deck where you have like these really powerful aggressive cards and then you just immediately sideboard them out. Uh, instead of calling it a hodgepodge trash deck or whatever, I would just say that it's probably the most malleable deck we've seen in a while in Standard. It is, but it looks like trash because you're just like, all right, turn one, three, two, turn two, one, one, let's get the beatdown started. You know, it is just weird. <laughs> So, in the beginning, Mardu was a pretty popular deck. Like, Red-White Vehicles won the first open, I believe, after Kaladesh came out. It, it had some of those mid-range qualities, you know? Like, it went up to Sky Sovereign and had Depala to kind of refuel and stuff. And then, uh, it was Lishi Chan's version from PT Kaladesh that really took off. And his deck was a lot lower to the ground. He was playing four colors for Disintegration and Sideboard Ceremonious Rejection. So, he demonstrated a lot of what you can actually do with the mana base. Uh, especially with the help of Cultivator's Caravan. I think there were some Gideons present in his deck, but it probably wasn't like the full four. Yeah, I think back then it was a two of pretty uh, stock. Yeah, and then just since then it's evolved, and there are just so many great cards in that three-color combination right now that you can basically tailor-make your deck to do whatever you want to do, like fight whatever matchup you want to fight. Also, you still end up with like a lot of free wins from your nut draws. Yeah, it's also not even clear, like outside of the fact that you can change your deck to adjust any matchup that you you know perceive the metagame being a large portion of or whatever. You know, there there are the core cards that everyone's playing, but there's also like ten slots that people really haven't agreed what to do with them. That's because everyone wants to do something else, you know? Like, everyone perceives a different threat because it's like, yeah, obviously the mirror's a big issue, but what about these Sahili decks? Like, what about if black-green remains a thing? Just because the Mardu decks are beating black-green now doesn't mean that you can just, like, cut all your black-green stuff, you know? Like, black-green is still a deck that exists, it is still solid, still puts up reasonable results, it's just not as popular as it was, and one of the reasons why Mardu, like, overcame the bad black-green matchup is because it shifted its mana base to play things like Fatal Push. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I think it was Grand Prix... No, Vancouver was modern. Whatever. The one right after the Pro Tour where people were... Pittsburgh, yeah. Going, like, significantly bigger with, like, Fumigates and Sky Sovereigns and Planeswalkers. And uh, we see some of that stuff now, but less, like, actual Wrath of Gods in people's decks. And I don't know. It's it's, it's hard to say whether Black-Green couldn't be well-positioned in a few weeks when people start adding shocks to their deck instead of Fatal Push and they no longer have Fumigates and things along those lines. So, a couple things. This is kind of off-topic, but Brennan DeCandio top forward his RPTQ with Black Green Delirium, and his list looked really good. He had Vessel of Nascency, was more controlling, had three to the slaughters, and I think that that's a good way for you to actually take your Black Green deck to be able to beat the new versions of Mardu that have all these Planeswalkers. Yeah, that's legit. The other thing is that Fumigate is interesting because it was the go-to card, especially around the Pro Tour time, to beat Black Green. It was like a card that I was considering boarding in my four-color Sahili deck. 
Yeah, just kind of the card that people turn to to beat Black Green. And then uh, GP Utrecht happens, and Samuel, French last name, <laughs> Velo? V- I don't um, know. I, that can't be right. No, it can't. It really can't. So he has, he has this transformational sideboard with Oath of Liliana, Oath of Chandra, Obnixilis, Nahiri, and not present is Fumigate, because with Oath of Chandra, Oath of Liliana, push and disintegration, you have enough removal to take down, like, these X3 and bigger creatures. Since you have enough spot removal, there's not really a chance for them to, like, have three or four things on the board, right? Like, you, you're you basically killing their things as they come down one by one. The need for Fumigate is just kind of gone. Uh, yeah, but, like, you know, Brennan's list, you could see severe adjustments in another direction where people are playing, like, Ishkana again, and obviously Ishkana makes cards like Oath of Liliana a complete joke. Yeah, absolutely. So, right now, we're in a spot where the core of the deck is basically Disintegration... Some amount of one-mana removal, whether it's Fatal Push or Shock. Heart of Kieran, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Toolcraft Exemplar, Thraben Inspector, some amount of Gideons, right? Yeah, I would go ahead and say four Gideon is basically 100% stock. I've seen lists with like three, but I would say that basically every successful list has played four. All right, Marcio also had four. So yeah, I'm, I'm willing to buy that. Four Gideon. And a lot of the lists are moving towards Walking Ballista over Veteran Motorist, which is kind of interesting. It's... I don't know, like, Ballista took a while to actually catch on, and then it only really caught on in the decks with Winding Constrictor, right? Which is obvious, you know, it's, like, such an obscenely powerful combo. But how good is Walking Ballista on its own? Like, obviously there are artifact synergies and stuff like that, but, like, just Ballista in this deck that has no real way to abuse it, how good is that card? I mean, I think Ballista is a generically powerful card. Kind of the floor for it is it, you know, gets a couple chip shots in, and maybe if you combine it with, like, an unlicensed disintegration, then you can threaten your opponent's Gideon or something like that. I think a lot of people kind of underrate where that extra point can go. It can make, like, combat more frustrating for your opponent. It can pair up with other cards to deal with problematic permanents that an individual card couldn't. And especially with, like, a deck like Marty Vehicles, if you look at the way it's constructed, and we've talked a bit, you know, already about how... You're trying to go bigger in the sideboard and stuff. And to support those sideboard plans, you kind of need more lands than the deck is interested in playing. Like, it's pretty much become stock that people are going to play 24 lands in their Marty Vehicles deck, even though it's kind of aggressively slanted. So Walking Ballista is just, like, an absolutely phenomenal mana sink in the late game. If you ever draw this with six mana, then it's a huge threat. So you watched the mocks. Did you watch, like, the entirety? I watched a good portion of it. I did not watch... Okay, so I basically watched none of the draft rounds. Sorry. No, that... Don't apologize for that. This is <laughs> this is a constructed magic podcast, man. Well, I, it's just uh, yeah, whatever. I'll just move on. No, no more comments on that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I watched a lot of the constructed, and I watched basically probably like ninety five percent of the top four, and the top four was completely awesome. Yeah, a lot of nine game sets, a lot of really good magic, and despite it basically only being the two archetypes throughout the entire tournament, I mean the games were just like really good and really interesting. Yeah, I, I hadn't really played a lot of standard since the Pro Tour. I really felt like I got super caught up just because the quality of play was so high and it was really easy to see what was going on, of course, because you could see both people's hands. Yeah. My big takeaway from watching that tournament was Raptor is very unlucky, which <laughs> is funny to say because he won the tournament and like the last like four or five hands he had were just like five land all spells, just like really good draws. He drew a lot of triple Gideon. He really did. Like an unnatural amount of triple Gideon. No, it's it's called whitelisted. I don't, I don't get the uh, term. Oh, so like, you know, blacklist is like you get banned, right? Yeah. Whitelisted is when, you know, worth just gives you what you need every draw step. Okay. <laughs> That's kind of messed up. 
Yeah, it's also just really weird that you have never heard that before, but... <laughs> I guess I'm not too ingrained in moto culture. <laughs> anyway, Raptor had a lot of games where he would have a ballista flood out and then just annihilate them with the ballista. It was just like this unstoppable force. It was so sick. Just like hard casting ballista for two, ballista for three, and it's like, obviously you're not in a good situation when you're doing that, but it is going to break any stalemate very easily. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, like, some weirdo black-green mirrors in Modern or whatever. Like, you exhaust everything, and then you just draw, like, your Planeswalker or whatever on, like, turn eight, and it just completely wins the game on the spot. Yeah. Another nice little upside from Ballista, aside from the artifact synergies, is that you have things like Scrapheap Scrounger, Thalia, and Toolcraft Exemplar, and those generally get brickwalled by Felidar Guardian, and Ballista just makes it really bad if they ever block. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And it also just, like, makes the games way harder for your opponents to play because you can just attack into stuff and just bluff. Yeah, and it's it's awesome with Avacyn, too, which is another card that is showing up more and more in these lists. Yeah, I think Avacyn is actually just, like, an oversight on people's parts. Kind of, kind of just that traditional thing of, like, a bunch of new cards came out, some stuff is clearly good, we're going to play with it. We kind of forgot about this old mythic, and Avacyn's just super busted, always has been, I think. And Bliss is a nice new synergy with her, of course, but... I really think the best thing about her right now is that Mardu has the ability to, like, leave up its mana pass, be able to interact with the Sihili combo if it comes down to that, and if your opponent never goes for it, then you just play Addison and then you're just way ahead. Yeah, I mean, before, the best thing you could do was, like, sack a clue, maybe return a scrounger. It was really painful to pass with Disintegration mana open and then just have them, you know, like, play two creatures or something, and you're like, God damn it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so Avacyn's great for that. Attacks Planeswalkers, protects a lot of your stuff from re- Release the Gremlins, which is pretty insane. And I think that's kind of why this card has started popping up. It was like, everyone is just going to play a bunch of Gremlins, and they're going to kill all of our artifacts post-board. So that makes our Exemplars worse. Heart of Kieran is a card that a lot of people sideboard out now. Avacyn is just this thing that people are not prepared to deal with. Are people really siding out Heart of Kieran's? Yeah. Maybe I could see an argument for shaving one on the draw, but that just strikes me as wrong. I think the logic is that post-board, people have more spot removal, so it's less likely that your Exemplar or Motorist lives, and then you just, like, run out of pilots, but, like, draw multiple Heart of Kirin, so it's pretty bad. So, like, shaving one definitely makes sense. And then there are the matchups, like the Mirror Match, where it's like, well, you don't really want to keep in your Exemplars or Motorists, especially when you're on the draw, uh, because it's so bad against Ballista, and they don't interact very favorably in combat or anything and then you're just down on pilots yeah i mean i I understand the arguments for sure but like the majority of the time that you're kind of configuring yourself for those plans you're also bringing in like additional planeswalkers or maybe even just like a bigger thing like an additional folly or whatever so just the the draws where you go heart of karen into anything that can crew it even on turn four is just makes such a huge presence on the battlefield and it makes it really difficult for your opponent to just like play their own gideon or whatever yeah i agree i mean heart is a kind of high variance card in that it's legendary and cheap and drawing multiples basically does nothing for you, but it is so good that everyone is just now playing four, which I definitely think is correct. So like, certainly that says something. And I think we're at a point where people kind of have an idea of where they're trying to take their deck as far as like, you know, post-board plans against the mirror match and against black green and against four color Sahili and stuff, but they don't have like an actual great plan completely fleshed out. Even watching the mocks, it was just like, you would see people just like drastically altering their sideboard strategies, like even in between games. 
Yeah. Maybe a lot of what I saw was kind of amplified by the fact that it was a really weird format, how the top four played out, because it was three best of three matches, or you had to yes. get best of three in best of three matches. So you would play a game, sideboard, finish the first match, deboard again, repeat. I, I d- definitely saw some showmanship of the way people sideboarded. Yeah, I mean, I, that format is kind of weird. Like, I was talking to Raptor about it before the tournament, like, Saturday night. He was just like, wait, so you could go, like, 2-0-1-2-1-2 and just, like, lose the match? That's kind of messed up. But Magic Online is not really configured to do, like, a best-of-seven thing, so... I mean, it is and it isn't messed up, right? It's like, it's not what you're used to, but you, you know what you're getting into. Yeah, you do know what you're getting into, and it's nice that they told them, so you're not just, like, suddenly disappointed or whatever. But it's like, yeah, going 4-4 in games and losing the match is just kind of tilting. Uh, well, it's never happened to me, so can't can't tell you, but <laughs> it does sound kind of shitty. Oh, man, can't wait till... I just slowly but surely, politely encourage you and like tell you to that you should play in these mox tournaments because they're like high you've ever, you never. You've never gently and quietly encouraged me to do anything. Well, right. That's why. That's why this time it's going to work. Okay, it's always been through shame and me feeling bad. See, that's what I say, man. You pay in other ways. You pay in other ways. <laughs> you you feed on my negative emotions. No, no. I'm just. I'm. I'm trying to trying to make us better, Michael. Well, I do appreciate that, even though your methods might be off. Yeah, they, they almost certainly are, aren't they? Oh, well. I guess, like, going into this weekend, we're both playing New Jersey. I'm sort of locked on four-color, and that certainly helps that I just looked for my Mardu cards and could not find a bunch of them, so... <laughs> I made sure I had all my four-color cards. They're, they're all ready to go. So I'm probably locked on that deck, just because I like it. I think that my plans for that deck are going to be better than my plans for Mardu, just because I'm more familiar with the deck and how the matchups play out and everything. I don't know, like, going into this weekend, what do you expect? Like, obviously the Grand Prix is not going to be an exact replica of the Mox or anything. It's not going to be all Mardu and all four-color. There are going to be, you know, some black-green decks and some weird decks, right? What are you looking to do as Mardu guy for this weekend? Oh, I like that you just automatically made the assumption that I'm going to be Mardu guy, because, well, I probably am. You you are. It is it is the best deck, I think, by a large margin. You've actually been playing games with it, and you've been winning, so, I mean, you're locked. Well, I played a singular league, but whatever. And you 5-0'd, that's game. Yeah, we're in, just locked in. I don't know, it's the kind of deck I like a lot, too. Just I, I, I enjoy decks that can kind of have a nut draw, beat people down, and then, you know, be flexible, so uh, I'm in. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think it's going to be a little less extreme than the Mox. I think Mardu would be the most popular deck. I agree with that. I think Four Color will be more popular than Black Green, but I don't think it'll be, like, by a wide margin. But maybe, like, the Day 2 metagame will be much more like the Mox. Yeah, I think Black Green just has too much inertia. GP Pittsburgh was not that long ago, and Black Green did really well. It's in, like, sort of the same area. Like, I'm sure they're, like, 10 hours apart or something. But, you know, like, a lot of the same... Northeast people are also going to be going to Jersey. Yeah, I, I never know how much I buy that kind of argument, to be completely honest. But people tell me it's like, you know, the Texas is very aggressive or the Southeast likes controlled X or, you know, garbage like that. And I don't know. I'm just saying that Black Green did really well. And it is more likely that a silver Grand Prix player or like maybe someone who's like half a silver or something, like if they've been playing Black Green a bunch, they are more likely to just tune their deck than suddenly pick up Mardu or something. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I expect if I play 15 rounds to play against Black Green maybe three times. Yeah, okay. So that's that's a sizable chunk. But I don't know. I, I mean, you've, you've said this to me even. It's It seems like a format that kind of just rewards playing the games fundamentally well and having a really good sideboard. 
Yeah, so what are you going to do? I mean, your sideboard plan for the mirror, four color, and black green has some overlap, which I think is great. Like you mentioned earlier, like, you can't have 15 sideboard cards and have transformational sideboard plan plus release the gremlins plus, like, whatever specific thing you want for whatever other deck in the format. Like, you can't have all of that in 15 cards, so... You have to move some of that stuff to the main deck, which generally includes, like, extra lands. Now it's Walking Ballista, which I think is a great sort of bridge between the two, and also Avacyn. Like, we saw the Utrecht list with Oath of Chandra, Oath of Liliana. Raptor's deck from the Mox was, like, half and half. <laughs> Marcio's deck kept the veteran motorists in the main deck and only has two Ballistas on the board. There's, like, Sky Sovereigns and Chandras and, like, all these different avenues you can go down. So, like, wh- where are you going? Currently, the, or the list I, I played with had two Ballista Main, two Archangel Main, uh, some Shocks, which is basically a nod to the Mirror to some capacity, mostly to the Force of Colors Ely matchup. Certainly worse against uh, Black Green than Fatal Push. Pretty obvious reasons. It doesn't kill Winding Constrictor. Has a much harder time killing larger creatures. And then, you know, kind of what you alluded to. Haven't really figured out my sideboard, but yeah, those Ballistas and Avacyns and to some degree Shocks kind of clear up somewhere in like the five and a half to six sideboard slot range and then you can kind of just fill in the gaps how people are sideboarding in the mirror is really interesting to me and i'm not really sure i agree with them because like repeatedly it, it just feels like I'm, I'm leaving the games to a point where like i'm ahead and then like finally they get to like you know play their release the gremlins for one or two and like get my thing and suddenly like the game's at parody kind of and then i just like play one more haymaker and i win the game I think I want to be, like, a little less artifact-centric than they are and also have less than three release of Gremlins because I think people are just adjusting that card. And as a result, like, I'm less high on Sky Sovereign. Uh, I still think I want one probably just because it's so powerful against black-green, but I think I'm just going to go harder on Avacyn's. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely down with that. How do you feel about, like, Oath of Chandra, Oath of Liliana, additional Planeswalkers? Like, do you want actual Chandra somewhere? Yeah, I think Chandra's still the, like, second best Planeswalker you can play. And once you're, like, moving towards Shock, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to play Veteran Motorist or not, but it's in my deck right now. Uh, but once you're more red-centric, then, then certainly Chandra looks appealing. I think Oath is just, like, a generically good card, both because, like, when you're interested in, like, porting out your Exemplars and maybe your Scroungers or your Motorists, like, when you're on the draw and you're more controlling, just having another good removal spell is, is valuable. But also I think people really underrate the deal-2 damage mode, because if, if that ever happens two or three times throughout the course of a long game, which is realistic, then A, that can give you like a backdoor burnout plan, but also like kind of what I was alluding to with Walking Ballista, where you can pair your cards together with Walking Ballista, like kill a Planeswalker on a key turn. Oath does that, where you can just like kill your opponent's Gideon on a turn that you shouldn't be able to, and that's just a huge tempo swing. I streamed a little bit last night. I played one league with Mardu and I guess came to the same, or some of the same conclusions that you did sort of randomly, where like I had Shock, my mana base was slanted white-red instead of white-black. Granted, my deck was kind of a mess. I had Inventor's Apprentice and 13 artifacts in my deck or something, but Oath of Chandra plus Planeswalkers, specifically Chandra, was so good in both Mardu Vehicles and the four-color Sahili deck. It's just like, it, it reminded me of like Blightning and, and Counter Squall and stuff like that, where it's just like, people die really quickly. Yeah, I, I, people just really underrate the idea of what chip shotting your opponent can do just like within the context of games because it's it's really hard to look at a, a card that says two or three damage printed on it within like the context of the game completely but that can that can force a turn where your opponent's like chump blocking your additional creature and being in the abyss faster and that just like completely constricts the game around that one turn it, it, it just like enables critical turns to happen a lot sooner 
Yeah. Not even just putting them in the abyss, but, like, you are most likely going to be winning the game a turn earlier, right? And that's one less draw step where they can draw, like, their Sky Sovereign or Avacyn or release the Gremlins or whatever it is that they need. Yeah. I mean, it, th- those, those swings, of course, are a little less pronounced and standard than they might be in, like, Modern or even Legacy or something like that. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely a big deal. Shock over push is a thing that I kind of wanted to return to, mostly because of four color. It's still serviceable in the mirror, but I also just wanted to make my mana base playable. Like, Marcio's list has four planes, three mountains, because he has motorist and also push main deck. And Raptor kind of went the opposite way, where he had planes and swamps, his red was a minimum, and he had push's main deck and ballista instead of motorist. Like, clearly you're losing out a lot by playing shock, instead of push against black-green, but I still think that there are ways for you to actually handle that matchup despite not having Fatal Push in your main deck. Yeah, I agree. I mean, also, you just have to... These decks have 12, 13, maybe 14 black sources, so the advantage of playing Fatal Push against black-green is that you can... If you're on the draw, you can kill their Constrictor uh, and then untap into a two-drop, but, like, what are the odds of that realistically happening? You have to draw one of your Concealed Courtyards or one of your Aether Hubs? Like, it's just so low. Yeah, and that's why Raptor had Swamp. He was just like... You know, he saw the list from Utrecht and was just like, this mana base is an abomination. It's got a bunch of swamps, plains, and mountains. It's just like all kind of nonsense all over the place. And he felt that he could very easily swing his deck one way or the other, like either white, black, or white, red. And he eventually decided on black because of Fatal Push. And seeing as how he knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of black green in the Mox field, I, I was just like, you know, why Fatal Push? Like... Obviously, it is slightly better in the mirror, but it is way worse against four-color, and he was just kind of insulted. He was just like, no, push is way better in the mirror because it kills Heart of Kirin. So, in his mind, like, you just can't play Shock. Like, it, it might be so much worse against four-color Sahili, but that matchup's already close, and you're probably, like, a slight favorite. So, he's just like, you have to play push, you have to play white-black, therefore you can't play Motorist. I mean, it it is better, but, like... Uh, I don't know. I, I think the the idea that it's significantly better in the mirror because of Heart of Kirin is, is very relevant game one, but almost not even a thing post board. Like, I agree. When, once you start introducing, you know, these bigger plans, release the Gremlins, Avisons, anything along those lines, it just doesn't matter as much. Yeah, I agree completely. And then there are the people that are like even sideboarding out Heart of Kirin, which is kind of doing your job for you. And then you have all these fatal pushes when they don't even really have any relevant targets post board. Yep. And, and I mean, like, again, Shock can team up in weird ways to kill an opposing Gideon or something like that. So, are, are you sold on Shock for sure? Because, like, Raptor seemed very certain. He is one of the people that I trust about Constructed the most. I mean, I wouldn't say, like, I'm a lock or whatever, but I think it makes sense, and the opportunity cost in the mirror is much lower than what he thinks for me. So, I'm fine with it. And it, okay. it, it really is just so much better against Four Color. Yeah, it is night and day. One of the cards is very close to unplayable. You immediately side it out, and the other one is just one of your best cards. It does so much for you. Yeah, and, and I mean, granted, he did a great job of this throughout the tournament. I, I watched him. You know, he he played super carefully and against four color. Really was patient, and you know, crafted these like elaborate game plans. And you know, usually he won. But if he just had shock in his deck, he could have just like you know been more aggressive and pushed the game in a direction that was better for him way sooner. Yeah, it just would have been easy mode, right? Yeah. You're likely not going to be all over the place, right? Like, maybe you sideboard some Fatal Pushes or something, but your mana is mostly going to be white-red. Yeah, if I, w- I would say I would sideboard exactly one Fatal Push if I was going to sideboard it. Okay. So, white-red base, basically keeping the black to a minimum, 
And then the question is, like, okay, you have this red mana, and you need to cast Shock relatively early, right? So, like, what else are you doing with this red mana? Like, there's Veteran Motorist, there's Chandra, there's things like Inventor's Apprentice, which I think is actually pretty good against Four Color, and might actually be good in the mirror if everyone just like slows down it seems pretty easy to actually get under them considering they have no sweepers so like you know what are you doing with your red mana i mean mostly motorists for right now it's big nods to the cyborg you have you have chandra release of gremlins early interaction with the chandra etc but i mean you're you're, you're basically just a, a white based deck to be completely honest i'm not really sold on inventor's apprentice just because i do think more aggressively slanted creatures is a huge opportunity cost for this deck because like I'm interested in playing Archangel Abyssin and things along those lines and Walking Ballista. I don't actually feel that comfortable all the time just having an artifact on the battlefield. It's a little harder than it looks. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That's that's certainly a reason to play Ballista over Motorist. We're, we're talking about this earlier where it's like, you know, you have these elaborate sideboard planes where you just like completely alter what your deck was trying to do. You know, you go from this like pretty heavily focused beatdown deck into kind of this weirdo mid-range deck and you need bridges in the main deck to make that happen because you can't swap like 30 cards out of your deck the reverse of that is like do you want to play motorist in your main deck because it's so bad in the sideboard games i mean it's entirely possible you don't especially it, the more the people move towards walking ballistas obviously the worse motorist gets but uh, we talked about this earlier I, th- I think it's relevant that if you don't have fatal push in your deck then veteran motorist gives you another backdoor way to deal with their heart of Karen's just because it makes your superior in combat so you can kind of dominate theirs, and I do think that's pretty important. I also just like Met- Veteran Motorist in like some matchups on the draw because it just makes your deck operate a little bit more smoothly. Like you really just need to hit like any play on turn three, ideally Planeswalker on turn four, and then like a breaker on turn five or turn six. And mm-hmm. the more consistently you can do that, the better, obviously. I have noticed that since Motorist has been cut from basically all these decks, like there are some really awkward Mardu draws, and it just seems like Motorist kind of like fixed everything yeah i mean it makes your deck less prone to flooding when you're increasing the land count it it, it does some subtle stuff but it it does have a lot of nice interactions with the deck so motorist making your heart beat theirs is kind of relevant it's it's sort of like having access to your own fatal push but like if they have push and basically the only thing that you're presenting that is worth pushing is heart like how often is that actually going to come up and certainly in the post board games like how often does that matter i mean i do think it comes up but it's, it's just kind of a, the dance you have to play where it's like, you know, if they leave up push and you have motorist plus heart, just hit them for three. If they have heart advantage plus thing to crew it plus push up and you have those two cards, then yeah, maybe you lose. I mean, it happens. That's legit. No need for Inventor's Apprentice. I think it's pretty safe to say that you'd rather just have 24 lands and have some more powerful cards to kind of lessen the impact of you flooding rather than playing a low land count, hoping that you draw a heavy amount of spells and actually like getting under your opponent and beating them down. Like you don't even necessarily need to do that anymore, right? I I mean, I I don't actually have like a a good answer to that question, but I prefer to build my decks in a way that are a little bit more mid-range centric, but like still have good aggressive draws. Like if I go 1-2, removal spell Gideon, I'm probably going to beat you, even if my creatures are a little less aggressive than they, they normally might be. And then, like, the games where I do have to go bigger or the games that do last longer, like, I actually have means to use my extra mana. You're talking about, like, 1-2, kill your thing Gideon? Like, that was just what Flash was doing, right? And this deck is just looking more and more like Flash. Uh, yeah. I mean, they do have some overlaps. Like, the best cards, instead of, you know, Reflector Mage or whatever, you have in License Integration, you have... 
a really powerful two-drop vehicle. You have Gideon, obviously, as like your marquee top end that everyone is literally just scared to death that you don't play Gideon on turn four. I don't know. I wonder why that is, where it's just like the best deck ends up being kind of like this hodgepodge of mid-range cards with like kind of a plan, but it's not a perfect plan. And like maybe it feels like it's missing some cards or something to like actually make it great. But maybe it is just like Inspector Gideon Avacyn are all just messed up. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> throw a dude in my uh, Pro Tour testing team under the bus real quick. He posted a list in our group that had three Thraven Inspectors, and I don't know what's up with that. In Mardu? Yeah. Dude, it, it turns on your spires. <laughs> yeah, it, it literally does everything. No, actually, so <laughs> for for our Pro Tour testing, people were also cutting Inspectors because of Heart. It was like, oh, well, we have Heart instead of Copters, so... We need just, like, bigger monsters, right? And Inspector doesn't do anything. So, like, we're cutting Inspector. And that's how Severa ended up building Jund vehicles that Martin used to top eight. Because he was just like, I hate Inspector. I will never understand how anyone can utter the phrase, I hate Inspector. It is it is a one-drop aggressive creature that's prophetic prism. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's so filthy. I, I, I still think it's just the best creature in Standard. Yeah, it is weird, right? Where it's like, you have these sideboard plans where, like, a lot of cards are coming in and out and, like... Maybe in faster matchups, you would, like, shave Gideon's on the draw or something. And Inspector and, you know, to a lesser extent, maybe Disintegration are just the cards that never leave the deck. But, like, certainly Inspector. Yeah, it's completely uncuttable. It, it, it just turns on all your payoffs. Like, I mean, look at how the deck is built. Especially if you ignore Fatal Push, like, assume we're moving back to Shock or whatever. You're just playing this white-red deck that has a butchered mana base to play on License Disintegration. Because it's just, like, this an absurd payoff for putting artifacts in your deck. And that's the only reason to put artifacts in your deck if you don't have Inspector, Inspector's Apprentice. Why can't I think? Inventor's Apprentice, thank you. Well, it, it's weird, right? Because it's like you have Disintegration, which tells you to play artifacts. And then to cast that, you need Spire of Industry, which also tells you to play artifacts. And it's like, okay, well, I guess I'm doing that. And Thraywind Inspector was a card I was already going to play anyway and was never going to cut in any of my matchups. So now it just gets even better. Yeah, well, it's like completely backwards logic though, right? Because it's like, I really want to play Unlicensed Disintegration because it's such a push card do that i need to add color and i guess the only way i can add that color reasonably is to play the spire so to support both of those cards i have to play thraven inspector and so forth yeah but inspector would just be there you know it's just like oh thank god it gives me a reason to like want to register thraven inspector otherwise you might like mess up and register oath of nissa instead (laughs) yeah sure I, i mean it's just like it's it's completely free it's incredibly good on rate and it turns on every single payoff card in your deck yeah so never cutting it ever 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 no what about, like, Toolcraft Exemplar? Like, do you think that the majority of your sideboard plans are just going to be, like, you immediately cut those, or do you think that you're going to try and remain somewhat aggressive when you're on the play? Uh, I think I'm going to cut it upwards of 80% on the draw and probably keep it 65% on the play. Okay. I feel like the, the cutting it on the draw number would probably be higher. Yeah, you might play against some, like, some weirdo decks where you just have to kill them. I don't know. But... Sure. You play you play against Metalwork Colossus or something, you're like, well, keeping the same 60 no, I'd bring in some release of Gremlins, but yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> God, how do they ever win? I I don't know. Like, I, I really want that deck to be good, but it's all these Dexers randomly have three release of Gremlins in their deck. It's how can you ever hope to, to deal with that? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what about Aether Sphere Harvester and playing that to make Aether Hub playable? Mm, I, I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on this. I don't think Aether Sphere Harvester is necessarily better than Caravan because Caravan, again, is just kind of this like fluid thing with your sideboard plans where you're like going up to a bunch of fives. Especially like if you're interested in boarding in like multiple release of Gremlins, like that is a fine Manic Vandal or whatever, but you want to be casting that card for five mana ideally. I definitely agree with that. 
it's just like another bridge into that stuff. It does feel odd to me that you have a caravan in your board when, like, everyone is going to be boarding in release the gremlins against you, and then it's just like you kind of want to shave on artifacts anyway. Yeah, maybe it sucks, but I mean, obviously the hope is I just like play a five on four, and then if they do gremlin me, then apparently my my five is going, or presumably my five will be more powerful than their two two or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I guess it does curve pretty well, right? We're like. Do you get to steal the playback from them? Uh, I mean, maybe if you, like, shock off the caravan, but... Well, so say they go land three pass, you play land three caravan, they play land four pass, now you have Avacyn mana open, and they get to, like, release the gremlins for two, but you can just still Avacyn and crew your vehicle? Yeah, I mean, obviously that's the ideal scenario, but not something you can necessarily count on. I definitely would not play one Fatal Push on my sideboard unless I had the second Caravan. Okay. I, yeah, I guess since you have, like, an abundance of Crew 3 vehicles, like, you kind of need to play with Motorists, but it just seems like there are going to be so many matchups where it's like you end up with not enough 3-power things, or you, you like, kind of get tricked into keeping in these weak 3-power creatures just to crew your vehicles. Uh, I mean, I still think Scrounger is fine with, like, the Go Deeper plan, because eventually if you're just trading off one-for-ones, then Scrounger wins, but... I, I like Scrounger in most of the post-board games because of how grindy it is. But Exemplar and Veteran Motorists are the ones that I'm sketchy about. Yeah, that's reasonable. But, you know, you're, if you're going bigger with more Planeswalkers, then Heart of Kieran's not going to be dead for too long. So, yeah, maybe your caravans are, you know, struggling a little bit. But I, I think that's fine. Okay. One thing that we probably should have covered earlier, uh, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is how bad is it exactly to have toolcraft exemplar and veteran motorist in your deck when everyone is playing walking ballista like i think everyone's big fear is that it comes down you know like snake aside right obviously if they go, if they go snake into ballista like you just get wrecked and that's that's fine that's definitely a disaster but like what if you go motorist and they go ballista like that doesn't even seem like a bad exchange for me so but that, that seems like one of the things that people are citing as a reason for actually moving away from veteran motorists and signing out exemplar in the postboard games even when they're on the play and stuff like that so yeah i guess baseline answer obviously if i go motorist and my opponent goes bliss for one shoot it then you know we've traded two mana for two mana and i'm up a scry two so that, i mean that's a pretty good exchange beyond that like i guess the concern would be you know ballista kind of trumps motorist in the late game and that's true i guess if both people are on empty and it's you know the most appealing play for my opponent is to play a ballista for two or maybe even three and I have motorists sitting on the battlefield, but I mean, that, that's kind of a situation you can play around. Like, you can force motorists to trade in combat. Like, maybe you don't get the ideal trade or whatever, but you can probably force them to block. You can make that exchange happen if you're actually concerned about Ballista, like, you know, working your motorists later in the game. You could also just, like, push the button on a Gideon emblem or something along those lines. But I don't think, you know, I really want a bunch of motorists on my deck, especially on the draw if my opponent is heavy on Ballista. I, I think that's a thing. But as far as just, like, straight-up exchanges, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Even if they play Ballista for two on four, by that time, like, your Exemplar, your Motorist, they've done things already, you know? They've attacked your opponent for a bunch. Like, it just seems like the games are not really conducive to your opponent just, like, sitting there and just being, like, pay four mana, put a counter on my thing, trying to get card advantage on you. Like, most of the time, they're just going to have to use it as a tempo thing, and then that exchange is not that bad for you. It's just, like, in the super, super late game, then Ballista kind of trumps your random X1s and stuff, but it's not like those cards were doing much anyway, and Ballista was going to be awesome no matter what anyway, too. Yeah, definitely agree with both those points. 
Uh, way back at the beginning of the format, I definitely cited Ballista as being a reason where I didn't think Better Motorist was playable, but that was very much in tune with the black-green side of the format where turn 2 Constrictor into turn 3 Ballista is, is a massive trump against Motorist, but that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Right. That, that shuts you down immediately, you know? Like, you just don't get to play at that point. Yeah, now I think it's a little bit different, and now I do think that Motorist is certainly something you can do, and... Everyone is playing Ballista, but it's still just, like, it's really not that big of a deal. Like, if you want a motorist, that's fine. Everyone is doing, like, this go big stuff in the sideboard, and they're doing it all different ways. The Utrecht version, I, I really liked because it was, like, very simple, you know? It was just, like, I have this clear plan, and I'm going to execute it, like, almost every game. Like, I love that. And then there are some people that are just kind of, like, dabbling in bigger stuff, you know, not really citing out, like, all of their low-impact cards or all their artifacts or whatever, but they, they recognize the need to go a little bit bigger. You can also just be a beatdown deck in this format, and I think that's okay. Like, especially if people are like, oh, well, I'm gonna cut my exemplars and motorists and stuff and play a bunch of five-mana cards, and you're just like, okay, great, that just means you can't block my one-drops, you know? Yeah, exactly. Definitely something I've been talking about recently, but... I think a lot of people kind of don't respect, and, and this is especially apparent in this Marty Vehicle deck, that like you kind of have to keep your curve consistent, otherwise your deck's just not going to be functional. You can just die with a bunch of 4s and 5s in your hand. Absolutely. The, I see lists that have like Avacyn, Gremlins, and Sky Sovereign, and it's like, whoa, those are basically all 5 mana cards, you know? Like, gotta show some restraint here. Yeah, a little bit. Like, you know, your, your opponent is going to be incentivized to leave in Heart of Karen, Scrap Heap Scrounger, maybe Motorist. Hell, they're 1-1 Ballista on turn two. Like, all that stuff's going to pressure you. Yeah. Uh, you're not playing with threes currently, right? No, I I don't know. Thalia is so high variant. Sometimes she's just completely unbeatable, and sometimes she's just trash. I think it's nice to have a free card in game one against the Sahili combo. Because I think that's where you need it the most. And it's just another three-power creature to crew with. And sometimes it stops your opponent from playing Gideon on four, which is pretty insane. And certainly, like, in the post-board games, I'm not sure how often you want to keep Thalia around. But, like, if it if it delays them from playing Avacyn or something for a turn or release the Gremlins, I think that's great, too. Yeah, I mean, all of that stuff is, is definitely good. Like, those are solid reasons to play the card. I totally understand that. It's just, like, I don't know if I like her better than any other card in my main deck right now. Yeah, you have you have two Ballista? Yep, two Ballista, two Avacyn, three Shock, one Caravan, all the obvious fours. Okay. Yeah, so you basically have... You have Motorist in your two slot, and then you have Ballista in your three slot. Yeah, functionally. It, it, like, instead of the three mana cards. So, I kind of get it. I don't know. I like the threes. I think they're powerful enough. I think they do a pretty good job. But it is weird, because none of the threes really fit well into any of the sideboard plans. Yeah, I think basically what it comes down to is, like... Ballista is generically better across the board in more situations. Uh, maybe its ceiling is less high than Thalia, but Ballista is also a card that is like a functional part of my 75 in many different matchups where Thalia is not. Yeah, I don't think it comes down to Thalia versus Ballista. I think it comes down to like Ballista versus Motorist or Motorist versus Thalia. Okay, sure. That's reasonable. I was just using the generic flex slot. Yeah, so like Thalia is a little rigid, but so is Motorist. Ish. How does that how does that fit into everything? I don't know. I mean, Motorist, it is kind of rigid in, in terms of, like, the 75 configurations or whatever across the board in many different matchups, but I think Motorist is a just, like, better generic beatdown card, obviously. Yeah. Any, like, wise words for the mana base? I see people messing around with, like, various creature lands and, like, how many hubs they play and 
maybe how many hubs they play depends on how many harvesters and stuff like that. Like, see a lot of people, including myself, that have Spire of Industries that are just never online, you know? like. Actually, you just have to be kind of conservative with cracking your clues sometimes. Like, uh, I saw Marcio and multiple other players just, like, sink two mana multiple times. And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, maybe that's not something I would have been naturally inclined to do, but it makes sense for them to do it in the spots. Like, if they, you know, peel a black spell or whatever, it's just so important that they can cast their cards. Yeah, it's interesting. I think when when I was playing last night, I probably sacked a clue in a couple spots where I shouldn't have, so. Yeah, especially, like, if you have a play lined up for next turn. Like, you know, it, it, it sucks to lose the two mana. That is definitely a cost, but, you know, maybe it's better down the line to just make sure that you have an artifact on the battlefield. Man, it's so bad, too, because it's like all of a spire and a clue, no other artifact, and it's like, man, this could be anything, even a thing that makes black mana, and it's <laughs> like, well, dude, what are you doing, you know? Right, it's like, well, okay, I <laughs> I took this risk to, to do the thing that I wanted to avoid. I don't know, as far as the mana base is concerned, I think don't play more than two hub unless you're playing Aether Sphere Harvester, and then maybe you can play three, I guess, I don't know. D- don't get cute. I think the pretty established mana bases make sense. Also, just just do the math. The main takeaway for the hub thing is just don't try and spread your mana base evenly across three colors. Well, yeah, that's never going to work. You know, support your six red cards or your six black cards or, you know, whatever. But don't just try to, like, play it all. No no push Chandra Exemplar Gideon? No, I wouldn't recommend it. I, th- I think Chandra is probably the, the big point of contention. If you're playing Chandra, then you're making a commitment. And then don't get too cute with the black cards. Word. I, I think I got to ask everything that I wanted to ask. Anything you want to add? Either about Mardu or the format or NBA Jam? I don't know. I, I hope that I was able to make at least a somewhat half-convincing argument for things I'm half-informed on. <laughs> I mean, dude, you, you watched a tournament. I mean, you're basically an expert now. I, I mean, the, the quality of play was great, so I, I definitely did learn a lot. Oh, man. I kind of want to play Mardu, but I like this four-color deck too much. Oh, man, I, I do love a little 75 Karma. I do too, man. I do too. The issue is that, like, I'm missing cards, and Cho is missing some cards, and then Cedric just asked me for a Mardu deck, and it's like, <laughs> well, crap, you know? Uh, surely you still own your Gideons, right? Yeah, I mean, I have three of them. No, dude, I'm, I'm actually just missing, like, a stack of stuff. Like, I went through, pulled out all my Mardu cards, and was like, oh, great, you know? I have all my cards together, and I was like, well, I should lay out this deck and actually make sure that I have everything, right? And I was missing... Exemplar, Inspector, Scrounger, Motorist, and Concealed Courtyard. Oh, well, that's not nearly as bad as you made it sound. And I just have no idea where those cards are. I'm also missing a Heart and a Gideon. Uh, I got I got you on the Gideon and probably the Heart. I think Cho has those. But no, like, the thing that bugs me is that, like, I'm missing these, these the stack of four ofs, right? Which means that, you know, either I loaned them to someone or I had some weird deck built or something, or, or I just lost them, or something. I don't know. It's just mysteries. And we know that you love knowing things, so those mysteries really hurt. As I love knowing things, I hate not knowing things. Yeah, it sucks, man. I mean, I hope that you can find your Mardu card so you can just work on a list and make it great, but, you know, whatever. Even if I can't find them, if, like, a hotel maid called me and was like, yeah, I stole your stuff and flushed it out. <laughs> You'd be, be like, like oh, thank you God. so much. God, I... I appreciate you for letting me know. Thank you so much for stealing from me so I knew what happened to my shit. Yeah, because otherwise it'll just drive me nuts. You know, it's like the thing where, like, you know, you're, you're thinking of a, a person's face, like an actor or whatever, but you can't remember his name and it bugs you. It's like that times affinity. Oh, yeah, it's infuriating. I don't know. I think I think you should just play with Gideon this weekend. That card is really filthy. Oh, God. 
Oh, so I should just put it in my my four color deck. Got it. I mean, you could, dude. I was I was actually writing out a list while we were doing this podcast. And I was like, man, if we go back to like red white base, and we have like all these five color lands and stuff, we could just play Felidar Guardian and Sahili. Yeah, I mean, I guess within the the rules of Magic and Standard, we're allowed to do that. <laughs> oh, this list is great. You got some prophetic prisms up in there. Uh, I don't. I could, but when I showed up to my Pro Tour testing house with a prophetic prism in my deck, they all laughed at me and and yelled at me. So every single story you've ever shared about your Pro Tour testing team, they sound kind of mean. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, at least they are quick to judge. That is certainly true. This this was the funniest thing too. So like Raptor and I basically don't agree on anything as far as Magic is concerned, which is just sort of strange, you know. Yeah. But. I had, like, Whirler Virtuoso in my deck, right? And he was like, that card is unplayable, cut it immediately. And then, like, once I refused to cut it and, like, gave him my rationale for it, he was just like, okay, so he has these reasons. I think they're all BS, but the fact that he has reasons means that he's probably not going to cut them. So then he just became, like, super disinterested in, like, whatever I was working on for, like, the four-color deck. You know, then I play the four, the PT with four Whirlers, and then we're, like, watching the mocks, and I'm, like, telling him how his opponents are sideboarding against him and stuff. And it was like, yeah, Lucas was cutting a Whirler Virtuoso. And he was like, what? Why would he do that? That's like the best card in the matchup, certainly. Maybe the best card in their deck. And I was like, hold on a second. (laughs) You remember back at the Pro Tour, right? When I was playing this deck and I had four Whirlers and you told me that card was unplayable. And he was like, yes. Yes, I do remember that. And then we just kind of looked at each other. And I'm just like, you know, waiting for an apology or whatever. But it never came. Come come on, Raptor. Just, Just admit you're wrong. We just looked at each other awkwardly, and then he just, like, you know, went back to playing games on his iPad or something. I mean, that is a funny story, but also incredibly depressing. Yeah, kind of. I'm sorry, buddy. (laughs) So, uh, that's fine. Maybe this has happened other times, but this was, like, the one time that I'm definitely going to remember forever where I just, like, you know, rubbed it in his face, right? I'm just like, hey, you remember this? You were giving me a hard time? Well, now I have proof. Like, you actually said it. Yeah, you you just had him dead to rights, and he wouldn't accept it. Yep. So that's it. That's my moral victory for the year. Okay. I I mean, that's just kind of sad, but cool. I'm glad you feel better. (laughs) Dude, I'm so happy. It's great. (laughs) Okay. I mean, that's all that counts, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this weekend, we got to get a picture together. Okay. Uh, We we, we kind of accomplished that the other week, but I guess it it looked like, uh, as someone put it, you had gotten laughing gas and I was your hallucination. No, maybe you had laughing gas? I don't know, maybe. Somebody was the hallucination. I don't remember what. Yeah. Uh, Alternatively, someone could come up to us, take a picture of us, and then just send it to us. That would work, too. I mean, we have the ability to ask any other human being that we are around to do that. Yeah, but we might forget. (laughs) Okay. We've forgotten every other time. If if there's just like 30 people that come up to us over the weekend and take pictures of us, I'm going to be so pissed. Dude, at least then we're going to have like a six sampling, right? To pick from? I'm going to be so annoyed. (laughs) All right. So ask us for pictures. Ask majors for pro player tokens. Ask him to sign play mats. Yeah, all that, that, that stuff is fine. I'm more than happy to do that. I just don't want people to be hunting us down and taking pictures of us repeatedly. It's, it's creepy. And then and then spamming you on social media yes. with these pictures. Man, it would be great if they could get, like, an action photo of us doing something, like, while we don't know, and then send it to us. Those are, like, always the best pictures. Like, Jerry, you, I see that someone took Jerry, a picture you gotta, when you I didn't know. You gotta stop. You gotta stop incepting people. 
All right, I'll stop. But okay. I'm serious. I know. I know. All right, man, what do you think? You want to start streaming? Uh, Yeah, I, I said I would do it at 8 o'clock, and it's 8.01, and, you know, going to need a couple minutes to set that up and whatnot, so we should probably get going. That's game!